When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello Man fans, Ollie Man here with The Modern Man. Here is what's coming up today. So what happened was they called me up on the Saturday and said, we've got this story, we're going to run it tomorrow. It's sensitive. It's like, damn straight it's sensitive, it's my life, don't you dare. Trolls, polls, trust and despair. We follow a political candidate fighting a marginal seat in the general election to get the inside track on running for office. Plus, he's developed a pig snout that pinches the septum, so nasal torture is now becoming an SM thing. Alex Fox gets sexy and Ollie Peart gets sweaty. It's all to come on this edition of The Modern Man. And I'd just like to start this edition with a heads up, really. The middle feature this episode is, well, we're doing something different. It's not a long-form sit-down interview in our traditional style. It's instead something that producer Matt and I have been working on for the past few months. It's more like a documentary, really. And it's about politics. Because back last autumn, we, you know, like everyone else, sensed that a general election was in the air. And we thought, how can we cover that on this podcast? Everyone else is airing all the noise and fury, the politics, the personalities, fake news, stop Brexit, oven ready deal, all of that. What can we usefully contribute? So we applied the filter that we reach for uh, most readily on this show. Uh, Let's cut through the bullshit. Let's see what is it actually like when you are putting yourself out there as a candidate. How does it feel behind the scenes fighting a general election in the current climate? from knocking on doors to appearing in the media to dealing with your detractors. So that is what we did. We couldn't have done it without the cooperation of Leila Moran. Massive thanks to her for letting us follow her journey. It's quite a revealing lesson, I think, about how politics works in this country. Along the way, you will learn what minivan is, you'll learn about the golden hour, and you'll learn how to do a rah-rah speech. Uh, In the rest of the show, though, it is our usual mix of sex and trends and songs and me asking for your cash. Uh, Right, ready? Let's go. Righto, time for the zeitgeist. Your trends tested with, I would say, a more slender and more buff-looking Ollie Peart. Thanks very much. I mean, I know we met each other after Christmas last time. Mm-hmm. We'd all had a few too many Quality Street. I was fat. But you're looking like maybe the fitness that you've been trying out this month has been working out for you. It's nice that you've noticed it, because I haven't noticed it. So Jeannie and Fran and Graham, amongst others, wrote in with fitness trends for you to put to the test. Mm-hmm. Uh, which ones did you do? I started with CrossFit, because everybody's heard of CrossFit. and I, I hadn't. Have. Hands up. I've really? not heard of CrossFit. Oh, okay. I, well, I had, but my perception of it was that it was like really super buff hench people screaming at each other whilst cycling really fast on bikes and doing weights. What's a hench people? It's the same as buff. Right. Hench. So Jeannie had written to us saying that it was going to punish you like nothing had ever punished you before. Mm-hmm. Was that true? Uh, yeah. What happens? Right. So I turned up, I went to CrossFit in Weymouth, and it's basically a ginormous garage. I'm going to describe it as it's basically a warehouse. It's got like a matted floor, and on one side of the room, there's like 
loads of weights. And the guy there, chap called Mark, was like, oh, you must be Ollie. Here we go. Let's get started. We're going to start by doing a very simple squat session, followed by some uh, goes on the bike. It's not a normal bike. This bike uses your hands and your legs. So there's these two bars which are kind of attached to the pedals mm. and you move your arms forward and backwards whilst pedalling. And it's quite a tough start. That's a, a cross trainer, right? I don't think it's the same because on a cross trainer, they're not pedals, are they? You kind of, you have your feet flat they're on. swerving ski things. Yeah, it's not a bike. Yeah. This is a bike. Right. Right. So it's slightly different and it's much more difficult as in the friction of it is quite hard. And I thought, oh, this is going to be fine not really worried about this and then after the first maybe 40 seconds <laughs> i started to realize i thought we were going four minutes no i started to realize how unfit i was yeah. bearing in mind this is an hour session and i'm thinking what the hell am i going to do for an hour turns out a lot of resting one of the big parts of crossfit is this high intensity training so yes. you go for it as hard as you can as fast as you can for a very short burst and then you recover and then you do it again mm-hmm. and it's exhausting and it is painful. But it sounds kind of fun. I mean, it reminds me of, you know, in PE at school, mm-hmm. when it would just be a blessed relief in that one week of term where instead of playing rugby or football, they'd lay out the gym with all that equipment. You do like an assault course. Yes. You do the, the thing where you jump on the horse shaped, what's that thing called? With the padding? The horse, isn't it? Is it called the horse? I think maybe. Fine. You do that. <laughs> I'm shaped like a horse. alien world to me, right? You do the bars, you do the beep <laughs> yeah. test. Yeah, yeah. And although I'd feel physically punished by the end of it, mm-hmm. I did think, like inside, I was like, oh, thank God, we're not doing competitive sport this week. Great. I mean, it was, it was fun. It was a novelty. Yeah, and actually CrossFit is basically PE, but yeah. it's just a bit more extreme. So you do it in big groups and there's loads of different stuff that's happening. They've got like, um, you know, the, the rings... What do you call them? The gymnast rings. They are shaped like rings. Yeah. <laughs> they're probably just called call, rings. I don't know what they're called. I don't know the terminology. There's rings. There's ropes. No, but they might have a name. Yeah. They might have like the, the hanging donuts. Right. Sorry, I don't yeah. know. Right. Uh, and then they've got ropes. Ropes, shaped like ropes. But it looks, it, it is like a sports hall, you know, at, yeah. at a school. Right. But the most feared thing is the bike. And it's the two-minute blitz thing on the bike, right? Which I did. And basically what it is, at the end of your session, he goes, right, get on, uh, get on the bike. And there's a big timer on the wall. And, he, and there's only two bikes. So there's everybody around you. And then he presses go. And the timer starts going down. He plays some music super loud, like fucking Skrillex or something. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And you have to pedal. And people are shouting at you. And you are pedaling and pedaling. First 20 seconds, Fine. I am a king. I can do this. After that, your legs are like jelly and you do literally think you're going to die. It took me ages to recover. And are there stats to back up Genie's assertion that this is the fitness trend for 2020? Well, I didn't know this, but CrossFit itself is a brand. So it's, it's, it's a franchise based out in the United States. And so every single gym that you see that uses the word CrossFit is part of an affiliate network. They pay $3,000 a year to use the CrossFit name. But around the world now, there are 13,000 gyms. Yes, it is a trend, but it's something that's sort of like been gradually growing. It's not like it's not a big explosion in CrossFit. Okay, so what else have you tried? Bouldering. What's that? That is climbing, but at a low level with no ropes. And you are protected by mats underneath the wall. So if you do fall, you fall onto a mat. Okay, so like you're filming a climbing sequence. 
you know, like Stallone in Cliffhanger, mm. where it looks like you're at the top of a mountain, but actually you're only six foot off the ground. Don't ruin that film for me. <laughs> Man fan Matt got in touch and said, near where I live in Dorchester, there's a climbing centre in Poole, and it's just bouldering. Mm-hmm. And it's quite a big centre, so I thought, well, I'll go and check that out then. What does that look like when you go in? Have they created an edifice that looks like a mountain? It looks completely artificial, and the reason that is is because all of the holds are coloured. There's a reason for that, which I'll explain in a minute. But you go in, and it's a huge sports hall. It's a massive, massive room. There's loads of people there, and then you've got all these big mats in front of you, and then you've just got these sort of different shapes of walls that are undulating, some of them completely flat. Some of them go back on themselves, so they're what we call an overhang. So it's actually, you know, going up over your head. But the reason these things are colour-coded is because they're different routes. There's like black, yellow, blue, whatever. But you can only use those holds to get up the wall. And they're all in varying difficulty. And I was like, I said to Will, well, how, who decides how difficult these things are? And he said, well, actually, there are people whose job it is to decide the difficulty of these things. And it's an art, it's considered an art form in the climbing world to build these routes and construct them. And they update them every six weeks. So if you go regularly mm. and you are focusing on a particular route and then you tackle it, you don't get bored of the wall because in six weeks' time, it'll be completely changed again. There was a blue route which I tried and I failed. I failed a couple of times. And Will said, look, let's just go and try something a little bit easier for a minute and take a little break and we'll have a chat about it. And then we'll come back and we'll figure it out. And you see people standing back from the wall. They're literally standing back from the wall with their mates going, what do you reckon I should do here? Should I do that? How should I put my, what position should I put my body in for this bit? And you work it out and then you do it. And when you do it, you're like, you're genuinely elated. You're like, that's amazing. And you've only climbed four meters, but you've figured out how to manipulate your body in a way to conquer this, this course. And it just so happens with climbing that you get really fit doing it in the process because it's hard. It's really hard. You use all of your body. Are there particular muscles that are toned by climbing? Well, it's really good for your core strength. Yeah. Like a, a lot of injuries that they get there are in the tendons in their fingers with the, the smaller holds and stuff. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's just really good for core strength. And there's a, a whole heap of mix of different types of bodies. There's like people that are really hench. Uh, but then there's quite sort of like wiry, thin people who are like a million times stronger than they look. Th- those kinds of people, you can see them hanging off their single finger from a from a little hold. Yeah, I suppose it's a bit like aquatics in that sense, isn't it? Like everyone's personal body strength is reflected in their own personal challenge when you're on Mm. a climbing wall. Yeah, and actually what's nice about it is you get a really good mix of women and and men because of that. What is climbing costume? What should you be wearing? (laughs) I imagine that there are special athletics wear... I mean, Provisions. yeah, it's like any sport. You could go into a shop and spend hundreds of pounds and buy a load of climbing gear, but you what don't need What did Ollie Pitt rock up in? I was wearing shorts and a T-shirt. Right. Is there an equivalent of the golfing jumper? No. Are you disappointed? A little bit, yeah. Climbing shoes. Oh, no, there is. I knew there would be. There is. The chalk bag. Oh, there we You've go. You've got to have the chalk bag. What the fuck bag. is a chalk bag? Well, it's for the chalk. How does chalk come into this? <laughs> so You rub it, it on your hands? You put it on your hands and it helps with grip. Okay, so what's a chalk bag? I mean, I know it's a bag for chalk. Yeah. Why is it different to any other rucksack? Well, it doesn't look like a rucksack. It's like a little pouch. Like a bum bag? Uh, like a bum bag, but it kind like of... Like a 1980s American tourist bum bag, but, no, but for chalk. Yeah, but it doesn't look like that. Right. It looks like a, it looks like a medieval coin purse. And there's okay. a big ball of chalk in there that's right. quite soft. Okay, and, yeah, yeah. You, a genuine trend then? Climbing? Yeah, climbing properly. So... Uh, even in the last year, it's grown by like regular visitors by about half a million. This is the latest stats for 2018. So one and a half million people went to indoor walls in 2018 and 100,000 people climb regularly. And also this year, they're expecting even more of it because it's going to be making its debut in the Olympic Games in Tokyo. 
Right. Now, something you were also tasked to do by Fran in Portugal seems rather different to me tonally, which is uh, Ayurveda, which is an alternative like treatment, complementary therapy thing, right? Yeah, Ayurveda. Yeah, this is completely different. It's a lifestyle more than anything. Medicine, diet, exercise. Based on what? It sounds vaguely Indian. Yeah, it is Indian and it's 5,000 years old. And Ayurveda itself means science of life, apparently, in Sanskrit. So it's about looking at your body and figuring out how to make you as healthy as possible. So I was trying to find a place where I could sort of learn about this a bit. And I found in Dorchester mm-hmm. an Ayurvedic massage course. It was wow. like an introduction. It was a three-hour course. So I went along and I felt completely out of place. This was actually quite early on in the this fitness thing. So I was still quite plump and felt quite disgusting. And then loads of super slim really beautiful people walked in because it was in a yoga studio and then it was all very okay this guy went and made a mint tea mm-hmm. sat down it's like right we're just going to sit down i'm just going to talk you through the process of ayurvedic massage and he started talking about these things called vata pitta and kappa which, i like pitta did so, he do falafel as well <laughs> they're, they're all energies in your body and the whole thing is about balancing those elements in your body to make you feel better you're sounding slightly like this three-hour course has not resolved your skepticism i went and learned how to do a nice massage (laughs) that's basically it but there is one thing i brought along to so you can try it right this is sesame oil you had sesame oil on salads but if you want to do massages at home a lot of people go out and they buy really expensive massage oils and stuff trust me sesame oil oh really non-toasted organic you can get it from a health food shop is amazing yeah. it's so good and the reason they use it in ayurveda is that feels good i'm rubbing it into my own arm apparently it's a balancer so it balances your docras yeah yeah bollocks right it's just nice and it smells yeah. good <laughs> just that's your final verdict is it on a five thousand year old tradition bollocks i don't want to offend anyone it's very nice well, it's if a bit you, late for that isn't it no if you want to go and try ayurveda yeah definitely go and try it you should it's sure. really nice yeah i feel the same about judaism <laughs> <laughs> just not I'll for me a bash, just yeah. not for me yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fine Right, good work. If you have a trend you would like Ollie to test out in a future edition of The Modern Man, fill out our feedback form at modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. Time to discover your trend for the March edition of the show, Ollie. Uh, And man fan Matt Smith has been in touch. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Matt Smith? What, as in ex-Doctor Who? Yeah. I don't know, but I doubt it. Okay. He says, you might know that the UK has just crowned its first drag queen superstar on BBC Three. Didn't know that. Uh, Well, he's talking about RuPaul's Drag Race, isn't he? I've heard of that. Yeah. Um, It seems that drag has seriously moved from queer culture into the mainstream. Uh, On the BBC Three show, we saw a number of queens who hadn't been doing drag for very long, but who gave amazing performances. (laughs) I would like to challenge Ollie to give drag a go. Mm. Mm -hmm. How do you even do that? Give it a go? You can't just give it a go. No, you can't just give it... Giving it a go is just putting on a bra. Yeah. What we want is for you to be... To, for you to emerge from the chrysalis, a fully-fledged drag queen by the next edition of The Modern Man. What does that mean? Do you accept the challenge? <sighs> yes. Don't act all surprised because I, <laughs> I, I happen to know because I saw on Twitter that you had a heads up about this. Uh, yeah, but it was a very slight heads up because Alex tweeted about, you know, she puts those tweets out asking for people for her various bondage piss things. Yeah, it'd be like hashtag journo request. Do you get a hard on when you blink? Yeah, exactly. And she put one of those out looking for drag acts in 
hashtag London mm. and hashtag Dorchester. <laughs> now that, you know, <laughs> kind of gave a, game a away. bit of a giveaway. Yeah. yeah, sure. You correctly deduced that we were trying to find a drag queen who could mentor you in your locale. Right. Um, and we have succeeded in finding you a mentor and you're going to meet him slash her next month. You found a mentor for me. Yes. And they're going to teach you to be a drag queen and we're going to meet your drag personality and find out all about your journey into drag culture, uh, lip syncing, performance, makeup, the whole bit. Am I going to record it in drag next time? Is uh, that what's going to happen? There's certainly going to be a photo opportunity. I don't oh, mind what you're God. wearing when we're actually recording. It's audio uh, on the next edition of the show. You're going to find me attractive. That's what's going to happen. And it's going to make everything awkward from now on because you're going to fancy me. I'm not sure that's the test of a good drag queen, but that's one of the (laughs) things we can investigate, isn't it? Maybe it is. Coming up next, something completely different. Uh, We go behind the scenes with a political candidate. Uh, But first, it's time for our record of the month. It is called Your Light, and it's by The Big Moon. Uh, If you like what you hear, they are supporting Bombay Bicycle Club all through February, uh, and they've got a headline tour coming up as well in March. Enjoy. What you are about to hear is essentially a 45-minute mini-documentary. It took a lot of production work. Multiple trips up and down the M40, overnight stays in service station hotels, packet sandwiches in the footwells, all of that. If you value what we're up to here on The Modern Man, please support us. We're an independent podcast. We rely on your donations to make episodes like this if you can spare us some beer money each month the average price of a pint of beer in britain is three pounds 60 which is about five us dollars please head to our website modernmanwith2ends.co.uk slash beer and you don't have to give five dollars you can give as much or as little as you want as often as you want um we have a secure and convenient form on our website there's links to contribute via paypal as well however you do it you're helping keep this show on the road Right. Time to cast your mind back a few months. A general election has just been called in the UK, so let's meet our candidate. As she'll explain, it's not her first time running for office. Oh, and as this was made over many weeks, I couldn't be there every time. So sometimes you'll hear me asking the questions, sometimes producer Matt. One, two, 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 one, two. Uh, So the first question is... Could you say who you are? I'm Leila Moran. I, up until the 6th of November, was the MP for Oxford West and Abingdon. Leila was 34 when she won her seat at the 2017 snap election. She beat the sitting Conservative MP, but with a majority of only 816. I would say the first six months were a complete blur. I spent most of the time not knowing what on earth was going on. You'd get texts from the whips saying, you know, go to the eye lobby. And I'm like, which one's that one? And it's like, you know, if you approach from here, go to the right. Okay, right. Okay, okay, that's the government side. Right, okay, I understand. And there is no training. This was the thing that really struck me. You get a sort of a week of induction, which is mainly about how to use the IT systems. And then after that point, the how to be a good employer bit is just not there. 
Layla had been a teacher, she'd worked at a social enterprise, but being an MP was a completely new challenge. You are all of a sudden an entrepreneur. You have to set up your office from scratch. You have to manage budgets, you have to do contracts. I had some experience of these things, but never setting up on my own, alone. But like any job, in the second year, you've done it all before. Layla rose quickly. She became education spokesperson, she was a regular face on TV, but then Parliament, paralysed by the Brexit deadlock, voted for another election. It does feel a bit soon, but that's the nature of democracy. And I always knew, especially when a hung parliament was delivered, that it was likely that another election was going to happen sooner than later. This is from our first meeting back in mid-November. And we've got 28 days exactly to go. As we speak, her party, the Liberal Democrats, are surging in the polls. In fact, their leader, Jo Swinson, is presenting herself as the next Prime Minister. But Leila is defending one of the slimmest majorities in the country. Fingers crossed right now, we hope to be able to hold the seat with an increased majority. The mood music that we've had so far in the campaign is good, but there is no complacency here when you've got an 816 majority and a massive Tory machine that is gunning for your seat and dying for a Boris Johnson majority to take a seat like this would be great for them. So I I am under no illusions. No one's leaving me to it. So our plan is to spend the next five weeks tracking Layla's campaign as she pounds the streets, faces a hostile press and fights for her survival to witness firsthand what it's like standing for office in a politically divided nation. As we speak, my next big challenge is that I am bridesmaid at my best friend's wedding for the next three days. And there are some things more important than politics. And I think about this quite often. You know, what are the things that, when I'm 90 and on my deathbed, are the things that I would genuinely regret my career and my job stopping me from doing? And this is one of them. So my team know I am not exactly incommunicado, but these are three days that I am taking to make sure that I am absolutely there for my best friend. I do, however, harbour guilt that I'm not here on the campaign uh, doing more. And certainly, I think, you've got to weigh that up against, you know, that worst-case scenario. Would I have been happy doing this if I lost by one vote? And when it comes to something like my friend's wedding, the answer is absolutely yes. I would, I would give up my job to be there for her. Okay, so it's the 19th of November, 23 days to go until the general election. Uh, I've just arrived at an industrial estate in North Hinckley, somewhere around the Botley Interchange, not the most salubrious of locations for a campaign launch. Uh, But there is a a craft brewery type tap room here, which apparently is the location for Layla's big rally for all of her supporters in the area. Um, So I'm going to go in and... I imagine uh, find her blowing up some yellow balloons and trying to make the whole place feel a bit more festive. At the moment, it, it just feels like a place you'd come to trade in your car or buy a bed. <laughs> so this is really for our local membership, um, who are activists, who some of which have been members forever and you know have been with us through thick and thin, through coalition and all the rest of it. Some of them are brand new members, and it's just a chance for us all to get together and say, yes, we can, um, in this marginal seat. So... What's going to happen? You're going to get on stage and you're going to make a sort of campaign speech or are you being interviewed or what? No, so I'm, I just do a bit of a 
yeah, a bit of a rah-rah speech. So it'll last five to ten minutes. It'll be about you know national picture. It's an utter disgrace that we're not part of the debates tonight, for example. Um, I'll talk a bit about how you know well it's going locally. I'll do a lot of thank yous to all the people who spend so much time and money and everything else putting the campaign together. And a big thank you to all the activists for coming this evening. And then that'll probably be it. And then I'll hand over to my campaign manager, who then does the hard bit, which is asking everyone for money, because these campaigns, of course, aren't funded on a wing and a prayer. They are funded by our membership. Usually, you know, large numbers of small donations is what we rely on. The Liberal Democrats historically haven't really had the big unions or big business backing us. So, yes, yeah, so do you deliberately kind of keep your hands clean of that stuff? Obviously, you, you want people to give you money, but you don't make the speech asking for it. I always prefer when it's just ordinary people giving smaller amounts and there's more of them. So at a national party level, I understand fundraising is going quite well. Um, but locally, we pay for our own campaign. Um, and so we rely on those small donations. And I just think it's lovely when it's local people contributing to something that they want as part of democracy. And so, yeah, what kind of budget are you looking at for a local campaign? Yes, yeah, so it's 30 grand. Um, wow. Quite a lot of money. Um, it's quite a lot of money. We didn't have that in the bank to start with at all. Um, some of it's coming from people who can afford to give a bit more. So we've had a few sort of thousand plus donations, but the vast majority are far, far less than that. And so how many people are actually on the payroll and how many are volunteering? We don't actually have any paid staff right now. Um, there are some national campaign staff that are doing stuff for the whole of the region that are based out of our office, but they're only allowed to do national campaign stuff. It's all volunteer-led, which is, I think most people don't realise that. I'm uh, Neil Fawcett, so I'm Layla's agent and campaign manager. So what does that mean, agent? It basically, well, the agent side means that I sign lots of legal forms and I'm responsible for the money and what it's spent on and making sure that afterwards we account for everything we've spent in line with election law. The campaign manager stuff is basically five weeks of herding cats, that we get the posters up, that we get the doors knocked on, um, and that hopefully in the end we win. How long have you been preparing for this campaign? <laughs> uh, we've been preparing sort of for about six months on the basis that it got steadily more likely that there was going to be an election. Um, day to day, it's mainly logistics, because um, you decide your strategy at the start, and you decide your key messages. Now, for us, that's really about which are the voters that we need to persuade to, to switch to voting for Layla in this seat, and what are the things we can say to those people that's most likely to persuade them. And so what are those things, well, and who are those for people? For example, the very obvious example is there are about 7,000 people that voted Labour in this constituency last time, and the very simple message to them is, you know, if you want to make sure we beat the Tories here, you have to vote for Layla. And so that means giving a presumably a different leaflet to those people than the ones that previously voted Conservative. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for Conservative voters, it will be more around her track record as a constituency MP, the fact that she's raised local issues in Parliament and written to ministers and tried to get action from councils and that kind of thing. Um, so the messages are not contradictory, but, they, but it is a different pitch to different voters depending on what they, they are likely to be interested in. And Neil, one of the things you're going to have to do is try and extract some cash out of these supporters. Yeah, I do it very plainly by spelling out that you know, we have a campaign we have to run, that has to be funded, and at the end of the day we are up against a party that has a lot more money than we do. Um, and usually that works, and people are convinced. And I try and do it with a, a little bit of humour, but also uh, you know, a little bit of a sense of, if you don't give money, don't blame me if it doesn't work. I'm now very proud to hand over and introduce you to, you're no longer an MP, to, to the next 
returning, hopefully, uh, Liberal Democrat member for Oxford West and Amiton, Leila Moran. Layla told the crowd what they wanted to hear, that the Lib Dems were the only way to beat the Tories, that Boris Johnson was out to destroy the country. And in the corner, leaning on the bar, I saw Evan Harris. He was the MP here for over a decade, but lost his seat to the Conservatives. A reminder, Layla's job really is on the line. I'm going to take this with me. I'm Layla's mother. Oh. Are you doing a podcast? Yeah. Can I have a chat with you? I could, yes. Why not? What, what's your name? Rhonda. 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 R-A-N-D-A. You, I mean, the first question, I suppose, is you must be very proud. That's why everyone says right. I am. This is my third time with Leila, in the third campaign. So the first one was 2015, when she didn't win, and then 2017, and now we're here. So we know the drill. But I must say, this time round, I can see she's much more confident, much more able to relax. I do worry safety sometimes. I mean, I'm going to be with her for the next month and her dad will be coming too. What do you mean, safety? I mean, being on the streets, you never know. You never know what people are feeling. In general, people are angry. Mm. So when Leila's had a tough day on the campaign, does she call you and say, Mum, this has been hard? She contacts us all the time. Like, we're in touch all the time. We watch her on TV. We give her feedback. We make sure she, she was fine, you know. Uh, yeah, I worry that she eats and uh, like every mother would worry. <laughs> so I'm here with her providing the food. I'm What's not, good campaign trail food? I, I'm a Palestinian originally. You probably know our background. My mother's Greek. So we do a lot of stuff that cooked in olive oil, things that don't need reheating. She can eat them cold. <laughs> so now she's going down to London. She has a tub of frike in her bag. If she can do enough canvassing, she will win. I told her this last time. I said, anybody who will meet you at the doorstep will not not vote for you. Because you're a genuine person with a lovely smile and intelligence. And you're giving the right message and you mean it. And it's hard. You will win. But the problem is, can she do all these people? I know all about canvassing. And I love it. Because in the Middle East, we don't have this amazing freedom. Leila, could you tell me what days we've got left of the campaign? I, I think it's 19, but I'm slowly, I'm slowly losing track. Um, so it's a Sunday, first one where sort of actually I think the teams are properly out and about, and we've had uh, lots and lots of doors. But I think nearly 800 doors knocked on yesterday. We're hoping to do the same again today. In 300 meters of the roundabout, continue straight onto. Right, let's go. The team head out, armed with leaflets and volunteers. But with an electorate of 76,000 people, Leila can't knock on everybody's door. Technology helps focus their efforts. This is Minivan. It's an online canvassing app. So electoral register is loaded up on there and it tells us who lives where, are they voters, which is quite helpful. (laughs) So you'll find we don't go to every house. Um, so there are either EU citizens or from elsewhere or frankly we've got a lot of data and if someone's a staunch conservative and would never consider voting Lib Dem there's frankly no point saying hi at this point oh hello hi are there any telltale signs when you walk up to the door you think apart from signs that go hmm maybe this house you know I take 
apart if it's a fairly ordinary house. The car's not too fancy, the door might be new, but there's a few windows that need some care. That usually is a sign that it's, it's a fairly ordinary family, which round here is more usually more for us. If it's sort of a super duper recently done up house, then sometimes you can think, well, they've got some money that they're, they might be conservative. But that said, that's probably a throwback from when I first bought this seat, because these days you'll find as many of those big houses voting Lib Dem because, uh, because of the Brexit issue. So it really is varied. Right, number two. It's remarkable how old-fashioned this all still feels. Layla presses the flesh, interrupts dozens of Sunday lunches, asks if she can count on your vote. But something else under the surface feels very 2019. A nervousness in the air. Um, Just for security reasons, don't leave me behind. So we've had some very clear guidance that, you know, I need to be an eyeline of someone else for all the time. So I'm sorry if that slows us up slightly, but... It should be fine. But it's just, I know, I end up behind a bin somewhere. (laughs) And now Randa's back, also concerned about her daughter's safety. She's driving just behind Layla and producer Matt, keeping her distance. Engine's still running. When you... I... I don't think you should idle, Mum, like this. It's... this. By the way, you know there's Lib Dem policy about known idling. No, no, but look, Matt's with me the whole time and I've always got people with me. If you park at the end of the road, we'll be with you in a minute. It's okay? Okay. People are very worried about, quite rightly actually, security. There was a um, stake with my name on it that had traitor written on it, um, which we've had to report to the police and uh, had a few email threats and things recently. So trying to be calm about it and there's no reason not to and I've got a panic button in my bag. We are hyper-vigilant in a way that, frankly, I just never used to be during elections, which is regressible. Very different from previous elections. Randa still has a role, though, as Layla's chief nutritionist. Well, it's water, it's fruit, it's Pringles, it's a sandwich. Well, that's the lunch. Extra coats, extra this, that's all part of it. It's fun. That's my life thinking ahead. Not everybody panics like that, but this helps. Week three of the campaign, and it's time for Layla to face her opponents and reach the all-important local radio audience. But the format has a twist. The Politics Pub Crawl on BBC Radio Oxford. It's the final stop on our politics pub crawl and we are in the most marginal seat in Oxfordshire. So the novelty this time was there was a magnetic dartboard and that's how the candidates were choosing the issues to discuss. I was worried about that, I'm not going to lie. Like when he said, which one are you going to pick and aim for? I'm like, I can't aim. So I was like, climate, please be climate, please be climate. And it was just about there, so I was pleased about that. I mean, it sounds silly, but sometimes the frivolous stuff, it seems to me if you're the candidate, that's the stuff that can trip you up, isn't it? Absolutely right. So, I mean, a lot of people will remember uh, who were from the constituency that the MP before me, when she was very first elected, promised on election night that if she won, she would sing. Um, And so she had to fulfil that promise on the radio the next morning. (laughs) Now there's these recordings of her singing. And, uh, you know, it's those kinds of things. But also, like, you know, you're in an environment where you want to seem human. You want to seem like you're answering the question. And like a rounded person, I guess. But you also want the people at home listening to be taking you seriously because you're about to say something serious about Brexit or the NHS or whatever. You're just getting that balance right. Yeah, I I think you can. And I think I would hate 
that if the different version of me on telly to in private, I think people want to see that authenticity in politicians. There was lots of questions actually about trust. You know, how do you build that? And I think you do that, frankly, by not bullshitting. You know, if you don't know an answer, say that. If you, you know, are answering something, don't be overly automaton in the way that you come across. I think that's actually quite important. What is the reaction you're getting from people now? Certainly when we come across people who, you know, want to vote Tory and believe in Brexit and whatever, you end up having certainly conversations where it's robust is one way of putting it never impolite and what I try and do with them is take them off onto another subject and then we have a nice conversation about education um, I haven't had anyone shout at me although some of our canvassers might have had that that's par for the course in most elections we have been lucky the thing that I've been grappling with actually in the last few days and I haven't been quite as out on doors in the last couple of days is because we've had a security issue and actually one of the features of the debate today was that they hired a security guard because we've had a few issues that we've had to escalate to the police. But it's certainly as on a personal level making me very, very uneasy and my team are being very vigilant about, you know, when we came here in the car, drop me at the entrance when before we might have parked elsewhere and walked up together. We're not doing that anymore. That's so difficult because that's the nature of a threat is to intimidate you to not campaign, I presume. Oh, I'm campaign- I will be campaigning. I'll be doing more on the phone and I will be out on doors again uh, tomorrow. But-, but the intention is to get you not walking down the street and here you are not walking down the street. I, well, I think, actually, honestly, I think the intention is to have a go at me because I'm a female politician. And what's been quite interesting is the nature of the threats that we have been having are overwhelmingly misogynist. The tone of the emails, very making reference to the fact that I'm a woman very often, you know, that sort of misogynistic undertone to a lot of what's going on, on the guise of talking about Brexit or other things, but then, you know, stupid woman, that kind of thing. So it's it's sort of linked. And then uh, the, the face-to-face threats that I've had, which is what's escalated this, are, are definitely more um, also misogynistic in tone. So where have the face-to-face threats happened? At Hustings, at Hustings, which is why we're being particularly vigilant about Hustings at the moment. So people come up to you afterwards and said it, or have they said it in front of an audience of people? Afterwards. You know when you've got that feeling that something's not right? Um, and that there were words that were said that, that made me feel that way. Um, but I certainly was not comfortable. And did you feel it is personal to you, this yes. person dislikes you? Yes. Or do they just dislike the Lib Dems? No, actually, they were very clear it was about me. But of course, that's linked to what I stand for, you know, and my progressive values, which I learned they didn't really agree with. And, yeah, you know, so it's, it's of course, you end up as a, a personal face that they have access to, but you represent something in society that they don't like. I mean, it is the reason that some of your female colleagues from across the benches aren't standing at this election. I think one of the uh, stories of this election is the number of really brilliant women across party. I mean, I'm talking also about, you know, conservative female politicians who are stepping down as well as others who feel that the level of intimidation that they receive is so high that life is too short and they'd rather go off and do something else. And I just think that's such a tragedy for politics. How many days left? I think it's like 35 hours now until polls close. (laughs) But then of course it carries on after that because you've got the count and all sorts of media and whatever that happens afterwards. We had a, a poll yesterday that came out nationally that seems to suggest we should be okay here. But I'm just absolutely paranoid in this election. It's so volatile still. Right, guys, let me brief everyone about the village. 
um, and some of the local issues in particular. So um, for context, Yarnton and Begbrook were the new parts that came into the constituency in 2010, uh, were largely one of the reasons why Evan Harris lost the seat. We've yeah, we're at the point in the campaign where people start shouting at us about the amount of leaflets. They've done studies on this, actually. And yes, it might put some people off, but actually it brings, other, it brings even more people towards us. So it's still worth doing. Really? Yeah. The, like the amount of leaflets? Oh, it changes, absolutely. So um, they did an experiment in Hull where they took three very demographically similar wards and in one they did nothing. Uh, in the other, they just delivered leaflets. And in the third, they did leaflets and canvassing. And they discovered that, unsurprisingly, leaflets plus canvassing increases turnout massively, particularly for your voters. But actually, leaflets were almost as effective. And so people do read them. There's always an argument, too many leaflets, too many leaflets, but it tends to come from very politically engaged people. Talking of politically engaged people, Leila's dad, James, a retired EU diplomat, has flown over from Brussels to join the final push. Well, I'm out canvassing with Leila, doing our best to... uh save the seat for the Liberal Democrats and to stop Boris Johnson and stop Brexit. Uh, And as they go door to door, it becomes clear. Layla's constituents have largely made up their minds about who to vote for, influenced in part by what they've read online. At the moment, it feels like the discourse is all about Russia and bots and interference and the influence of social media. And in fact, one of the ladies we were talking to on the door was absolutely convinced that that story of the boy lying on the floor in the hospital was fake. And I was explaining, no, it's not. And the hospital has confirmed that did happen. And she's like, oh. And she was taken in by it completely. She was absolutely convinced it was fake. That was just now? That was just now. So I explained it and I said, look, you've just got to be so careful. I've been taken in by it too. There was an account online that was trying to spread misinformation about a Lib Dem poll which I just, as you do on Twitter, you look at something once, don't think about it, retweet. And then as soon as I did it, I was like, that's not right. Went back and saw that it was a, a bot account or, a, you know, one with specifically made, you know, 10 followers, whatever, uh, made to mimic another well-known account called Britain Elects. And so I, I didn't just take down the post and block it but I also took a screenshot and said to people be careful of this account you might want to report this and block it too and yeah we've just got to be ultra vigilant so I now think twice about retweeting anything. So at this point it's worth saying it is freezing cold at the moment and I mean freezing your hands are in your pockets you can see your breath on the wind Uh, and after a few hours campaigning Layla's team they're tired they're cold they've decided to call it a day. Boris Johnson looks set for a majority tomorrow the polls are out and Layla decides to focus on election day itself and particularly anticipates the so-called golden hour. Golden hour is not quite an hour, but it's the time after work when people tend to, you know, you want to remind them once they've got home before their dinner that they need to go out and vote and that's the time that the polling stations are busiest. Um, So wherever looks most marginal is where I will probably be at that point. And then we'll keep knocking up until about... Well, last time it was up until 5 to 10 and you end up um, closing in on polling stations. So you do houses that like, legitimately someone in their dressing gown could go and vote now. In reality, we'll probably stop around 9, 9.30. I might then go home and just sort of... Well, we'll see. We, I'm not sure what the plan is for then. I've just agreed to do Radio 4 and 5 Live um, at 10.45 and 11.15. 
probably from the Oxford studio. Um, so actually I may end up going to a pub or something, wait for the exit pole, get the lines for the exit pole. Obviously we're going to do well. I just have to work out which bit. Um, <laughs> then I'll go home, have something to eat and then sleep. Uh, so I will not probably be able to actually sleep. I'll close my eyes, turn off the light, at least rest my mind, rest my body. And then depending on how the count's going by that point, it's possible we may get a sense of how it's going. So I'll wake up around two, have a shower, do my hair and all the rest of it because there might be cameras there. And we'll finish at around five, I think. And then of course, you know, you're looking out for your friend's results. How's it going? I feel more hopeful today. Yesterday I was sort of in deep despair. I had stress dreams about us returning a handful of seats. You know, it's, you just don't know how it's going to go. So probably tomorrow, it's just, you're just riding that wave and you're glad it's at least reaching its conclusion. And then you deal with the consequences. Our exit poll is suggesting that there will be a Conservative majority when all the votes are counted after this election of December 2019. It is election day, or more accurately, it is the morning of the next day, but uh, the result in Oxford West and Abingdon still hasn't been declared, so it's four in the morning and we are on the way to see the count which I'm quite excited to do because I've, I mean, it's not exactly a glamorous <laughs> environment judging from what I've seen on the telly of things like this, but I've always wanted to be in that sweaty, repurposed school sports hall environment to see what it's like when the political circus comes to town. Talk me through your evening, Layla. Right, so did knocking up until about eight, then went home, did a few calls, uh, tried to eat something, failed, had a glass of wine too, and then decided that I was going to try and nap, but I couldn't, so I had a bath. And then went down to BBC Oxford, where I did a bit for Radio 4, and hung around there whilst Five Live didn't find me. And was that before or after the exit poll? Oh, that was after, so it was about the exit poll, which of course is just so disappointing. But as we sit here, we've just found out that Jo Swinson, our leader, has lost her seat. And uh, it's devastating. I mean, it's utter shock. I don't think anyone expected it. I've just seen a video of Nicola Sturgeon looking absolutely elated and pumping the air and just incredibly ungracious. And it's just outrageous. And yeah, so I'm going to be asked to talk about this for the next 24 hours. What do we do? And what happens to the party? And... I'd honestly, we're looking for the other results from Scotland because there are others who are in trouble as well. And then there's, you know, as soon as Joe lost, my friend Daisy won in St Albans, so we gained a seat. I mean, it's just so much churn tonight. Have you spoken to Joe? No, I've texted her and just said how incredibly sorry I am, as I have my other colleagues, that she's not the only one who's lost a seat. But yeah, of course, I've texted her. Um, I would imagine that right now she's probably not doing very well. And... Um, is just going to need to get through the next 24 hours because actually in our party you can't be the leader without being an MP so de facto 
we'll have to have a leadership contest now. So, whew. so yeah, Ed Davey is now the new interim leader of the Liberal Democrats. I texted him to say that as well. I was like, right, what do we do? <laughs> and there's going to have to be, I guess, like a party line on what went wrong. Yeah, I mean, the post-mortem is already starting. Uh, was it Revoke? Was it Joe herself? Was it... Oh, oh, my friend Tom's not made it. Hmm. Is that Tom Brake? No, no, Tom Morrison and Cheadle. No, Tom Brake's made it, I think. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I need to, I need to look back and see who's actually done it and who hasn't. I was very happy Tim Farron made it. I texted him to say congratulations. You know, so whenever, and whenever I look, and there's you know certain certain MPs that you're sad to lose. Um, and then there are others where you're like, oh, they were a bit of a bitch. I'm glad they've gone. <laughs> and I suppose that's cross-party as well, isn't it? That's not just Lib Dems, because you work alongside exactly. people from all parties. Exactly. And there are some people who are just utterly useless, and they hold on to their seats. And then there are other people who are really, really hard and are great MPs who lose them. But that's politics. That's what you sign up for. I mean, people are going to ask you, are you going to stand to be leader? That's what we're going to ask you in the next 24 hours. Um, and I will say, with all honesty, I am taking no major life decisions when I'm this sleep-deprived. Because that is the truth. But no, a decision will need to be made. Yeah. <laughs> are you tempted? Am I tempted? We may not have a choice. I mean, I think one of the things that was clear from this election is how badly coalition haunted the party. So we'll see who else gets returned. And of course I have a choice. Everyone has a choice. But yeah, we'll see. And as we wait for Layla's results to come in, James and Randa are reflecting on the fact that, well, whatever unfolds, Brexit has not been stopped. It's going to happen. We're out. And that is extremely bad news for this country. And it's bad news for the European Union as well. And I've spent 35 years working for the European Union, you know that, uh, as a British official. And I'm very sad to see this. And whose fault is that, do you think? I would place above all else David Cameron, who didn't have the courage of any conviction to stand up to UKIP in calling the referendum years ago. And having done it, did it without any preparation of public opinion after 10, 15 years of nothing but negativity since Tony Blair. What's been the best bit about the campaign and what's been the worst bit for you as Layla's parents? The worst thing for me was the misogyny and the threats. Oh, yes, of course. And that uh, was a nasty thing to see. uh, And she's not the only one. This is affecting so many of the female MPs, especially. Not just the female ones, but mainly female. And this is most unpleasant. That's true, actually. Uh, That did scare um, us. I think that, uh, again, the positive side was that she stood up to it pretty well. And finally, at 5.36am, the result. Fredrickson, James Layla's held her seat, with an increased majority of 8,943. Neil, what do you reckon to those numbers then? Well, that's brilliant, brilliant, really. I thought we were going to increase the majority. The response has been really positive through the campaign. 
Um, but I think I'm right in saying that's a record percentage share of the vote uh, for the constituency ever, for any anyone who's won it. And I think it might even be the highest vote that anyone's uh, got. I need to check that because I wasn't expecting to have to know those numbers tonight. <laughs> but over 30,000 votes particularly in the national context, is really quite impressive, I think. And as we're talking right now, Layla's behind us doing a TV interview. One of the questions she's going to be asked over the next 24 hours is, is she going to stand as leader of the Liberal Democrats? Have you discussed with her what she should say to that? I think she's got a lot of the characteristics to make a really good leader. But as Joe's found out, it's not the easiest job. And, and it's in particularly with politics as they are at the moment. It brings a huge amount of pressure, I, I would say a huge amount of unfair pressure, which I think Joe and Tim both faced. Brings a level of scrutiny beyond reasonableness. Congratulations. Thanks, guys. Big number. Big number. Big number. More than 50%. Um, highest ever vote share for any political party in the seat's history. So, as I was hoping. And uh, your speech, did that go according to plan? No, it never does. Actually, I think it's somewhere on the podium up there. Um, there was all sorts of things that I left out, but I could sense from the room that everyone was just shattered and it was longer than I wanted it to be. So I thought it was better to end it earlier. Well, I filmed it and I dropped it to your mum, so she oh, has a copy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Back to work on Monday. Back Stop to work on Monday. Now. Well, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen now because obviously as Joe's gone, we're going to have to regroup fairly quickly. We may well have to end up in London tomorrow. Ten past six in the morning and it's all over. And not only is it all over, but the sports centre that we're in is now coming back into life as a sports centre. So people are swimming in the swimming pool next to us as we walk out. It's such an endurance test for them to be up all night and then have to make a speech like that. Um, But, you know, even though I've tried to be impartial on this journey, I couldn't help but feel happy for Layla to get such a thumping majority here, especially since the national picture was really quite disappointing uh, potentially catastrophic you might say for her party and perhaps the most telling moment was uh, we asked her parents how they'd react if she was to stand for leader of the Liberal Democrats not a question I thought I thought I would be asking them tonight and they both said dignified things but both of them quite clearly suppressing grins uh, I think they're really proud of her and also I think they think as I think I do that she's going to be the next leader of the Lib Dems. And suddenly this documentary where we're following a candidate in the general election has become something different. So, it is January 2020, 34 days after the election. Is it? That time has flown. Has it? <laughs> Absolutely flown. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're sat here in my new office, which is so exciting. I used to be in a, an old building quite far away from the main building where MPs have their offices. And I used to dream of having an office in this building. This is, uh, we should describe it, actually, for listeners, because we've previously been to interview uh, Wes Streeting, the Labour MP. Yeah. And his had a kind of shabby chic vibe going on. There were green carpets like this, but they were definitely a bit warm. Yeah. So this is kind of new, and I'd say classy. Thank you. But not... Um, <laughs> I think it's important for people who are listening thinking that this might look like some sort of palace, you know. No, so this is quite, it's quite modern. So this was the modern extension to Parliament. Um, and uh, I've only sort of quite recently managed to to move in. So the I pictures mean, conference that we've room got, at Hilton is the vibe that I would. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But you know, it's functional. And what's lovely about it is um, I used to not have a desk. 
right. in my old office. I used to not be able to hold meetings in my office. And so uh, this is going to absolutely transform how I work. And already the team and I are seeing big differences in terms of helping our communication and that kind of thing. And also we've created a little bit of a sanctuary here. So the madness of Westminster, where sometimes you just need to sort of have a quiet moment to yourself. I think this is the first time since I was elected back in 2017 that I can, I have a space that I can close the door and just for five minutes, Mm. that often you don't have, but sometimes you need, you can just shut out the world. And so I've put up, you know, a couple of Van Gogh paintings, some And again, just if listeners think this is very glamorous, and when you say Van Gogh paintings, you literally mean the originals. No, they're prints, (laughs) literally. Like, they're 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 like cheapy cheapy prints. No, and they're they're up (laughs) there with blue tack. Um, But, you know, I want to try and make this space as inviting as possible. I've Mm. got some nice cushions with... um, I'm in a window seat. There's a view. Yeah. I mean, you have the Thames right there. And Big Ben. You are, like, opposite Big Ben. Covered in scaffolding, yeah. Now, since we last met on January the 2nd, you sent what has become quite a famous tweet. Uh, 2020 is a new decade and a new path in my journey. Last year I fell in love with a wonderful woman, something I'd never even considered before. Now I'm just happy... Hashtag pansexual, hashtag out and proud. Yep. How long did you spend composing that tweet? Not that long. It was kind of a bit of an afterthought that it was something I wanted to do, the tweet itself. And just to explain that story in the first place. So, uh, yeah, I'd been going out with uh, my girlfriend for a little while and my friends and family kind of knew, but not my, you know, like not my very extended family. And it was one, it's, you know, it's been six months. So it wasn't really a case of, you know, we moved in, we're married, all the rest of it. It was the beginning of a relationship and actually a new facet in, I'd always been with guys before, this is the first time I've been with a woman, and all the issues that sort of surround that. Had that come as a surprise to you? It wasn't a conscious choice? No, it was really, it was just like you meet someone, you click. Yeah. And it just, it never even occurred to me that that might happen with a woman one day for me. And it did. And so I then was just sort of, you know, living that life and enjoying it and trying to separate it as much as I could from politics but of course people know because you know friends are friends and all the rest of it and I had anticipated that over time it would just naturally you know you sort of don't do a big coming out reveal you just sort of it just happens and actually frankly most people don't give a shit Mm. right I mean it's 2020 people don't care it's 2020 but unfortunately some journalists hadn't got that memo And um, this was the mail on Sunday. And this was wasn't the mail it? on Sunday, and my I had heard from as early as mid October that they were kind of hunting around this relationship, and had heard from people that this was a case, and people who I knew behind the scenes were telling them this isn't a story. There is no public interest here. What's wrong with you? La la la. The game changer for them, I think, was then Jo Swinson losing her seat, because suddenly. There is theoretical public interest because there is a leadership contest and I'm one of the people who, again, is being spoken about in that context. But it's not as if you'd spoken against no. gay relationships no. in the past or something. No. That would make sense then. You could say there's public interest because there's hypocrisy. Yeah. And the fact that they were hunting around this in mid-October tells me it had nothing to do with anything actually worthwhile it was that they thought this was a salacious story that needed telling and it's the mail on sunday and you know this is in a week where we're seeing you know megan and harry theoretically leaving the country because of the abuse that they've had from press intrusion and i'd sort of been watching that kind of thing from a bit of an afar but actually this was the first time that i'd come across it myself so what happened was they called me up on the saturday 
and said, we've got this story, we're going to run it tomorrow. Do you want to comment? Do you want, it's sensitive. It's like, damn straight it's sensitive. It's my life. Don't mm. you dare. Please don't do this. Like, what, what, why are you doing? And then they were like, oh, because of leadership, because she works for the party or worked for the party, she doesn't anymore. This is Rosie, your partner. Uh, this is my partner. And, you know, th- there's public interest here. And my, our, our listeners, uh, listeners, our readers don't care that there isn't a leadership contest. They think there is, and they think you're running, and they think therefore. And so that's the public interest because they think about it. I was like, no, you're wrong. So just to be clear, you do not have my permission to do this. And also, if you are going to do it, I need to let you know that extended members of my family, particularly of the older generation, don't know about this yet. Mm. It's a very sensitive issue. Can you at least give me a week so I can go and talk to them? And this is over Christmas. And uh, we were planning to just have a very quiet week. We, you and Rosie. We and Rosie, yeah. After the general election. After the general election. First time. Literally just wanted to chill out. That's all I wanted to do. And then we get this phone call and we're like, I can't believe they're doing this. So they gave us a week, to their credit, I mean, little credit where it might be due. They gave me a week. And of course, I then, I was reflecting and going, are they going to do this next Sunday? I have no faith, given how they've behaved, that they're going to hold back and not publish. So I'm going to do it. So I took control of it. And, um, you know, spoke to Pink News, spoke to The Guardian, actually spoke to The Mail as well. And it's like, if you're going to do it to my own terms, but The Mail is a different publication for those who don't know to The Mail on Sunday. They are editorially managed by different people. Although, actually, interestingly, people conceive of The Mail on Sunday as being the softer, more liberal I know. One. Well, this is what surprised me about why they were pursuing this in that way. And actually, one of the reasons why... The person I was talking to at the mail was like, yeah, we want this because, you know, actually we, we need to sort of tell a story like this occasionally in a positive way. So they, they did their best. But actually The Guardian was brilliant. So but the thing is, you, it's not like you were in the closet. You just hadn't told anyone. I just hadn't. Or hadn't told anyone I, beyond, you know, your well, immediate I told, I told everyone that you might expect when you're in a new relationship. So your friends when you see them. Right. Your family when you see them. Nonetheless, oh, by the ha- way. How did it feel to talk about your relationship with journalists? It's so weird. Yeah. And, and it's just made me realise I hoped that we were at the stage in our society where literally no one cares. Mm. And I hoped that there would be absolutely no need to worry about this kind of stuff. The issues that I might have with it are more like me and my identity and who am I and all that stuff, right? But actually the issue is not with society. And it's clear to me from this story that there are some people who aren't there yet. <laughs> and, and by coming out and taking control of my own story, and it's my story to tell, God damn it, it's my life, I'm going to do it. But it's had a lovely positive impact as a result. And there are so many people who have contacted me since going, firstly, thank you for raising what pansexual is, because it's a term that's slightly lesser known than than other terms and it's the one I identify with and bluntly for those who don't know what it means um, is that you fall in love with a person and actually their physical attributes doesn't really matter which include their gender and anything else you know it's actually about do you click their personality do you do you work because we've talked on this show we have a section called the foxhole where we answer listeners sex questions in every episode and we've talked about all kinds of sexualities in every possible scenario and pansexuality hasn't come up well, I think it's quite, it's still quite a new, uh, the way I put it is I think it's quite a new term for an old idea. And so um, there were, over the years, I have heard it being mentioned more recently um, because I think Miley Cyrus came out as pansexual. So it's, every time someone talks about it, it sort of peaks an in interest. Was when it I important d- to you to put that hashtag on that tweet? That's why I asked you how long you spent composing it. Oh, I see. It. Because, because you could have just said, 
I'm about to be outed, what a horrible thing, completely out of date in 2020. Yeah. And I'm in love with a woman, and I never expected that to happen before, done. Yeah. But that hashtag pansexual, yeah. that is what opened the debate, because both the kind of supportive community on Twitter started saying, this is really great to hear it talked about, like you said. But then, of course, the people who don't like progressive values yeah. chime in and say, this is woke virtual, virtue signaling. Oh. This is this is saying there are more than two genders. That's what this is about. Well, there is. <laughs> I mean, that's but a- that's the reason you say it, not because you identify it as it, which is, of course, what you're saying yeah. is the case, but because you wanted to make a political statement. Yes, and that's the only attack the Mail on Sunday could come back with, that somehow I was weaponizing my uh, sexuality in order to further my career. And there is nothing, especially given that they were the ones who forced me to do it. <laughs> I would have much rather no one ever... Well, they can know what they like, but that no one cared. But when and, you put that hashtag, I'm just I'm just yeah. curious about that moment where you add the hashtag and you think I'm adding that extra dimension here. I don't. I did. It wasn't as planned as that. No, it wasn't at all as planned as planned as that at so all. So you tried different labels for size. Am I gay? No, I'm not. I'm a bisexual. It's more. Than yeah, that. and that was more a gradual process over the last few months. Mm. And so I think the first time I spoke to, you, the first thought that came into my head was what. Well, am I gay? And I didn't know. (laughs) And then the next one was, well, no, because I still like guys. Does that mean I'm bi? So the first conversation I had with my mum, that was the term I kind of used. And also, uh, she probably wouldn't have understood what pan was anyway. And then actually, as as you try on these different clothes, you realise some of them fit more comfortably than others. And when I said to myself, when I was reading up about it, what am I? Mm. If I had to label myself, what is it? Because at some point I knew that I'd probably have to talk about it because we knew the journalists were hunting around. And so which one is it that I'm happy to talk about? Actually, when I said that I'm pansexual, that actually, I say it and it doesn't jar in the way that some of the others did. And it doesn't mean that any one label's better than the other or anything like that. It's just this is the one that I feel most comfortable with and that's why I put it there. Is it weird that now you know that when people Google your name, that's one of the stories they'll see forever? That's the nature of public life. And I've always been, you know, partly why I agree to do these kinds of podcasts, and uh, I've always been of, this, of, of the opinion that people want openness from their politicians and they want transparency and they want to know who are the people who drive these decisions and, and what they care about and who they are. But when we last saw you at the election count, was Rosie there? Yeah. She was? In the background, yeah. So, I mean, there was a deliberate decision on your part not to have a photo with her or... Do you know what I mean? It's a six-month-old relationship. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, it's kind of like recently the parents... You know, there is a natural progression, I think, to these things. Had we been married, that's entirely different. Talking (laughs) of natural progression... Yes. uh, We are now surely at the stage, whether this is being led by the Daily Mail or not... (laughs) Yeah. ...where you must have made up your mind about whether or not you're going to stand to be leader of the Liberal Democrats. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have put 40 quid on it. I just want you to know. <laughs> I went on Coral the yesterday. Odd, the odds aren't bad, I uh, hear. I, I'm yeah. going to get £175 back if I'm right. Not and I can say that for listeners in the future, I have no information about this. Leila has not said nope. it. But you are now nodding. Are you going to stand to be leader of the Liberal Democrats? I have made a decision, but I'm not letting you know what that decision is. <laughs> this is like the generation game. Yeah. <laughs> well, when does the world find out what that decision is? Will um, it be before this podcast is released on February the 1st? It will not be. Okay. It will not be because um, we don't know, yet know the timetable of anything. And so actually I think we need to let the natural processes in the party happen first. And what, and actually I didn't say either way last time this happened, which was when 
Vince stood down and I, I, I waited until much later and at which point I didn't do it. So just because I'm not saying doesn't mean I'm going to. It's, mm. I think it's the right thing to do. I think it's preemptive to say I am or I'm not going to be standing for a position that is as yet not advertised. I Why is it taking the Liberal Democrats so long to sort that out and the Labour leadership contest has been underway for a few weeks now? It has. I think one of the reasons is purposefully I think it's the right thing for the party to do to wait until that Labour leadership contest has come along. The fate of the Liberal Democrats over the decades has been quite closely tied to what happens to the Labour Party. We are deliberately waiting. Well, do you think about my 40 quid? I will, I will. I've got, that, <laughs> I've got a tenner on Sam Mendes at the BAFTAs as well. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Good Thanks. luck with that. Leila Moran, still the MP for Oxford West and Abingdon. We'd love to know what you thought of the episode. Drop us a line using the feedback form on our website, modernmanwith2ends.co.uk. And if you enjoyed it, do tell your friends on social media. We are at the modern man with two ends on Twitter. Up next, Alex Fox is talking sex when you have LS. And if you don't know what that is, you'll find out after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Let's plunge into the foxhole, your sex questions answered, with Alex Fox. Hello, Alex. Hey there, Ollie. What have you been up to? Well, usually we chit-chat about morning glory here, but I have been consulting on a project designed to make mornings more glorious. It's an app called Wakey that plays you a nine-minute video designed to make you feel upbeat and start your morning with an optimistic point of view. Yeah, I met the woman who's developed this. It's like the big breakfast for people that are old enough to remember that on telly, but delivered to your phone. A very little tiny digital breakfast. I was one of the initial people to test the app, and I also helped shape some of the language and uh, write a style guide for it. So uh, it's riddled with hideous puns. Excellent, good. May or may not ruin your day. Right, time for your questions of sex. This one comes from a gentleman who has chosen to remain anonymous. And he says, Alex, do you have any tips for couples where LS is heavily affecting their ability to have intercourse, but the partners still want to keep it hot. It seems this condition is highly underdiagnosed due to the embarrassment that goes with it. Okay, I've genuinely never heard of LS. I haven't Googled it. I am none the wiser. What is LS? LS stands for lichen sclerosis. It's an inflammatory skin condition that primarily affects um, people with vulvas, uh, but it can also be found on the foreskin, in the penis, on guys, and it can creep its way around the body to places like the anus and the torso and the breasts. So when he says it's affecting a couple... It would be unusual for them both to have LS. It's normally one or the other. That's the most likely scenario, although it is possible that they both have it. We don't know a heck of a lot about what causes LS other than that it's a bit of a bastard. And the way that it manifests in the body is that it causes extreme painful inflammation. We're talking splitting and blistering of the skin. Uh, It's incredibly sore and, and, and ouchy. There's lots of bleeding and extreme burning sensations. And the skin 
skin and the flesh can actually get so agitated that it starts to fuse together and scar tissue builds. So some women actually find that their clitoris becomes buried under tissue or the opening to their vagina starts to close because the body is doing its best to repair but doesn't really have the tools it needs to do so. Okay, so tips. He wants to have sex. What can he do? First up, it's commonly treated with a corticosteroid cream or an ointment. You need to be really careful about putting that just in the places where you need it. because Some of those treatments can be quite aggressive and they do they kind of work by thinning the skin. But they basically help to stop that excess buildup of tissue and, and keep things in check. Lots of women also find that a local oestrogen cream, which you can get on prescription, can help too, because that makes the vaginal opening more elastic. Some women find that the use of dilators helps make penetrative sex more possible for them. The little Russian doll dildos that grow in size. If you can get your mitts on some of those that are made out of soft, squidgy silicone rather than hard plastic, they can be a little less harsh on the skin. Mm. And you can get ones that vibrate as well, so that make the whole thing not only a bit more pleasurable, but also you can potentially integrate those into your sexual play as well, if you wish. And it does sound to me with all this stuff that what you gain in sexual pleasure, you probably lose in spontaneity. Well, to be honest, you probably are really sick of having your mitts on your bits if you have LS because due to all the splitting and the itching, um, you will also need to moisturise that area quite a lot. Some doctors even say up to 14 times a day with emollient cream. So you might find that you are just sick to death of being touched there anyway. But yeah, being spontaneous is quite tough. If you turn that on its head though, Ollie... Some people who are LS sufferers have gotten in touch with me and said that they have actually worked to make their maintenance regime, to make this long-term treatment part of um, a tender, sensual, even sexual play with their partner. One sufferer who got in touch with me says that she also has endometriosis. I mean, that is a terrible buy one, get one free deal. Um, But she has made her partner into, I quote, the keeper of the tender parts. He gives everything a good close-up inspection, including with his tongue. She gives her partner the task of gently and lovingly massaging in her steroid creams and her emollient creams, including in the shower, um, because they can be more gentle at cleansing areas affected by LS than things like harsh shower gels or soaps Um, and because she's also affected in the anal region they incorporate this treatment into their anal play that's actually amazing i mean it is isn't it round of applause it does make you think as well like how many kind of creams and potions and lotions that people rub in those sorts of areas have the medicinal feeling that they do because just simply of the packaging they come in and the fact they're prescribed by a doctor and it's seen as a solitary activity I often think, you know, if you look at uh, a lubricant that's designed for sexual play, there's often not that much chemically different between that and something you'd find in a white plastic pot in boots. But it's just, it's it's made to be a sex product by appearing to be more sexual. It's a way of changing how you think about it, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, some of these steroid creams as well are probably accompanied by a fairly clinical smell. They're not designed to smell sexy and sensual. But if you can reframe your regime as... Uh, not only something that's caring for you in that clinical way, but also an act of care bestowed upon you by a caring lover. It can make that everyday routine about pleasure and about connection, as well as about just ticking a box that you of something you need to do to keep yourself healthy. Okay, if you're going to advise ways, 
to spice up their sex life that don't involve penis and vagina activity. Can you tell us anything new? Because we've been doing this for over 100 episodes now. You know, you've told me about talking dirty. You've told me about scheduling your sex time. You've told me about adding new rituals. You've told me about massage. Is there anything left? I'm grinning at you, Ollie, because I preempted this question and I have prepared. Good. I've been nattering and chattering to uh, a lot of sex therapist friends. Uh, one, a psychosexual therapist called uh, Aoife Drury, who says a good way of um, discovering other parts of your body that might bring you sexual and sensual pleasure. The nostrils. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I did talk to somebody recently who makes really inventive BDSM toys and he was telling me how he's developed a pig snap out that simultaneously pinches the septum so nasal torture is now becoming an S&M thing um, but that's not what I'm going to um, to recommend for this couple. Uh, Aoife says a good way of discovering new parts of the body that might feel sensual to you is to just get into the habit of not only noticing but noting down little tiny everyday thrills. Things like when you're in the shower, scanning over your body and noticing how the drops feel on every spot of your skin Uh, when you dry yourself with a towel like try using different strokes and different pressures Um, a sexologist called Lucy Rowett who I also chatted to said um, just again tune in to when different things in everyday life outside of the bedroom feel luscious and then see if you can transplant those into uh, a sexual scenario if you notice that something smells lovely and and that gives you pleasure then think about how you might be able to use that imaginatively Um, if putting a really crisp shirt on in the morning makes you feel great again how can you transplant that lovely feeling into a sexual context It is going to take a little bit of challenging yourself, but that can be a fun thing. Another technique for becoming more self-aware in a holistic way and awakening your mind to the potential of your whole body uh, is a technique called body mapping. Um, There are a couple of apps actually that take you through this. Um, You listen to somebody instructing you, a little bit like Headspace. Let's call it Bedspace, if you will. Um, There is one called Furly, we are Furly, F-E-R-L-Y dot com. um, And you can download body mapping exercises from there them that are really great instructional pieces but what I mean what does it involve so it might for example give you some exercises to do with your own fingertips or the skin on your neck or the soles of your feet, places that it might not occur to you normally to even think about as having the potential uh, for bringing you sexy times. Okay, and what should this couple definitely not do? If you give lichen sclerosis a Google, you will find particularly US-based sites advocating the use of borax, uh, which is a powdery white mineral that is usually used for things like cleaning products or getting rid of stains or killing ants. It's really harsh stuff. Doesn't sound sexy. Well, some people say it's a miracle product. They're either taking it orally, so they're actually drinking this in solution or using it in their baths. However, be incredibly careful with that. The British Society of Dermatologists and the British Skin Foundation have both issued warnings against using borax uh, for the treatment of LS, so I would advise against it. Some people do also advocate the use of local anaesthetics like lidocaine and there's another product you can get called Instilla Gel, which essentially numb the genitals so that that penetration hurts less. 
Some people find those helpful. However, a bit like what we've said when we've been chatting about bum sex in the past, if you can't feel pain, then there's always a danger that you are hurting yourself more than you realise. And of course, no person with LS or any other kind of condition that's causing them discomfort during pain should feel like it's their responsibility to manage that pain in order to push through and have intercourse. Have you seen evidence there of what this writer is suggesting, that the condition is underdiagnosed because people are embarrassed to say they've got it? Oh, unfortunately, hugely. Um, Lichen sclerosis can be linked to recurrent cases of thrush, which people then try and treat with over-the-counter medication, not realising that the problem actually runs deeper. Emma Norman, who is one of the co-founders of Lichen Sclerosis UK Awareness, has recalled having this pain since she was about two years old. So for her, it goes back a long way. But it wasn't until she was in her 20s that she actually summoned up the guts to go and see a doctor. And even then, unfortunately, the, the response that she got from medics was not always ideal. I think people are becoming more aware of lichen sclerosis now from a professional point of view as well as a public one. Mm. So uh, if you do seek out help, you're likely to get better support. Okay, well, hopefully we're doing our bit on that score. Um, We're doing our bit for people's bits. Alex, you have been my tiny everyday thrill today. (laughs) Uh, If you have a question of sex for Ms Fox, what should you do with it? Head over to modernman.co.uk. Do I really need to say it has two ends now? It's got two ends. Unlike my dildos, which sometimes have two ends, but not all the time. And hit feedback. (laughs) Thanks. And with that, we've very nearly reached the end of this month's Modern Man, but there is just time to appoint a new ambassador. It's Mike in Israel, who says, Ollie, thanks for the great podcasts. I listen whilst I grow microalgae here on Kibbutz Kitura in the Arava Desert, where I've lived for 42 years. If you don't already have a ambassador for Israel, I would be honoured. Well, Mike, we do now. Congratulations, you are on the map. If you'd like to be an ambassador, write us a review on Apple Podcasts or buy us a beer. Links are on our website. Our theme music is by Django Django. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer, Matt Hill. And we will see you with a brand new episode on the 1st of March. Retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, on Monday, it's the anniversary of kids' classic, The Very Hungry Caterpillar. On Tuesday, how Rockford became the cheese of kings. On Wednesday, we meet the Jobs and Wozniak of the 1800s. On Thursday, the history of the YMCA, from the City of London to the village people. And on Friday, the edgy musical that made Greece the word. We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes each weekday, wherever you get your podcasts.